Thank you for sticking with the Mutual Audio Network, where imagination and relaxation blend. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. The following audio drama is a production of 63 Audio and the Narada Radio Company, a proud member of the all-new Mutual Audio Network. Greetings, friends, and welcome to Pulpery Theater. I'm Pete Lutz. Today we commence the re-release of our very special adaptation of Shakespeare's Macbeth, act by act, over the course of the next five weeks. Macbeth was our season two premiere, first released in October and November 2014. Our cast was made up of local actors, for the most part, with a few friends from out of town invited to perform certain roles. I got the idea to bring Shakespeare to audio from two main sources. First, Orson Welles, my mentor and muse, who did the same thing, but for radio in the 1930s, and secondly, from the BBC, who are still creating new adaptations of the Bard's plays from time to time. But it was mostly Welles who influenced me with this particular adaptation. I sat with the full script before me and the Mercury Theatre in my ears, following every word. When a line in the radio adaptation was altered or struck, I marked the script accordingly, thus recreating, more or less, Mr. Wells' masterful 1938 version of this gripping, moving tragedy. And so, my friends, it is my sincere hope that our 21st century effort to bring 11th century Scotland through the eyes of that 17th century playwright to life rings true and fine in your ears. If you like it, love it, or hate it, won't you please let me know? So now, without further delay, allow me to present the Narada Radio Company in Act One of William Shakespeare's tragedy, Macbeth. Act One, Scene One, A Desert Place. Three witches materialize. again in thunder lightning or in rain when the hurly burly's done when the battle's lost and won that will be earth the set of sun where the place upon the heath there to meet with macbeth <coughs> i come gray malkin paddock calls anon Fair is foul. And foul is fair. Hover through the fog and fill the air.
Scene 2. The Heath. The three witches appear and dance in a circle. <laughs> a drum, a drum. The weird sisters, hand in hand, posters of the sea and land, thus do go about, about, thrice to thine, and thrice to mine, and thrice again, to, to make up nine. Peace! The, the charms wound up! On to the heath ride Macbeth and Banquo, fresh from their successful battle in Fife against the Norwegian army. So foul and fair a day I have not seen. How far is it, Calderforus? These so withered and so wild in their attire. They look not like the inhabitants of the earth. That's wrong. Live you, or are you off that man may question? You seem to understand me. I each at once a chappy finger laying upon his skinny lips. You should be women, and yet your beards forbid me to interpret that you are so. <laughs> Speak if you can. What are you? All hail, Macbeth! Hail to thee, Thane of Gloms! All hail, Macbeth! Hail to thee, Thane of Connor! All hail, Macbeth! Thou shalt be king hereafter! <gasps> Good sir, why do you start, and seem to fear things that do sound so fair? In the name of truth, are ye fantastical, or that indeed which outwardly ye show? My noble partner, you greet with present grace and great prediction of noble having and of royal hope. That he seems wrapped with all. To me, you speak not. If you can look into the seeds of time and say which grain will grow and which will not, speak then to me, who neither beg nor fear your favours, <laughs> nor your hate. <laughs> Hail! 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 Lesser than Macbeth and greater. Not so happy, yet much happier. Thou shalt get kings, though thou be none. So all hail Macbeth and Banquo. Banquo and Macbeth, all hail. Stay, you imperfect speakers, tell me more. By Sinel's death I know I am Thane of Glams, but how of Cardor? The Thane of Cardor lives, a prosperous gentleman. And to be king stands not within the prospect of belief no more than to be Cardor. Say from whence you owe this strange intelligence, or why upon this blasted heath you stop our way with such prophetic greeting. <laughs> Speak, I charge you. Whither are they vanished? Into the air, and what seemed corporal melted as breath into the wind. Would they had stayed? Were such things here as we do speak about? <laughs> or have we eaten on the insane route that takes the reason prisoner? Your children shall be kings. You shall be king. And Thane of Cordor too. Went it not so? To the selfsame tune in words. Who's here? Ross and Angus arrive. The king hath happily received, Macbeth, the news of thy success. 
<laughs> as thick as hail came post with post, and everyone did bear the praises of his kingdom's great defense, and poured them down before him. We are sent to give thee from our royal master thanks, only to herald thee into his sight, not pay thee. And for an earnest of greater honor, he bade me from him call thee Thane of Cawdor, in which addition, hail, most worthy Thane, for it is thine. What? Can the devil speak true? The Thane of Cawdor lives. Why do you dress me in borrowed robes? Who was the Thane lives yet but under heavy judgment bears that life which he deserves to lose. Whether he was combined with those of Norway, or did line the rebel with hidden help or vantage, or that with both he labored in his country's wreck, I know not. But treason's capital, confessed and proved, have overthrown him. Glams, and Thane of Cardor. The greatest is behind. Thanks for your pains. Cousins, a word, I pray you. Two truths are told as happy prologues to the swelling act of the imperial theme. I thank you, gentlemen. This supernatural soliciting cannot be ill, cannot be good. If ill, why hath it given me earnest of success commencing in a truth? I am Thane of Cardor. If good, why do I yield to that suggestion whose horrid image doth unfix my hair and make my seated heart knock at my ribs against the use of nature? Present fears are less than horrible imaginings. My thought, whose murder yet is but fantastical, shakes so my single state of man that function is smothered in surmise, and nothing is but what is not. Look how our partner's wrapped. If chance will have me king, why, chance may crown me without my stir. Worthy Macbeth, we stay upon your leisure. Give me your favour. My dull brain was wrought with things forgotten. Kind gentlemen, your pains are registered where every day I turn the leaf to read them. Let us to all the king. Banquo, think upon what hath chanced, and at more time, the interim having waited, let us speak our free hearts each to other. Very gladly. Do you not hope your children shall be kings, when those that gave the Thane of Cardo to me promised no less to them? That trusted home might yet enkindle you under the crown besides the Thane of Cowdor. But tis strange, and oftentimes, to win us to our harm, the instruments of darkness, tell us truths, win us with honest trifles to betray us in deepest consequence. Till then, enough. Come, friends. Macbeth, Banquo, Ross, and Angus exit. Scene 3. Inverness. Macbeth's Castle. Lady Macbeth, in her chamber, sits by a window reading a letter. They met me in the day of success, and I have learned by the perfectest report that they have more in them than mortal knowledge. When I burned in desire to question them further, they made themselves air into which they vanished. Whilst I stood wrapped in the wonder of it came missives from the king, who all hailed me Thane of Cawdor. Oh, by which title before these weird sisters saluted me and referred me to the coming on of time with hail the king that shall be. This I have thought good to deliver thee, my dearest partner of greatness, that thou mightst not lose the dues of rejoicing by being ignorant of what greatness has promised thee. Lay it to thy heart and farewell.
Glums thou art, and coddle, and shalt be what thou art promised yet. I do fear thy nature. It is too full the milk of human kindness to catch the nearest way. Thou wouldst be great. Art not without ambition, but without the illness that should attend it. What thou wouldst highly, that wouldst thou holily. Hie thee hither, that I may pour my spirits in thine ear, and chastise with the valour of my tongue all that impedes thee from the golden round. Which fate and metaphysical aid doth seem to have thee crowned withal. Messenger, what is your tidings? The king comes here tonight. Thou art mad to say it. Is not thy master with him? Who were so would have informed for preparation. So please you, it is true. Our thane is coming. One of my fellows had the speed of him, who, almost dead for breath, had scarcely more than would make up his message. Give him tending. He brings great news! <laughs> the raven himself is hoarse that croaks the fatal entrance of Duncan under my battlements. Come, you spirits that tend on mortal thoughts, unsex me here and fill me from the crown to the toe, top full of direst cruelty. Make thick my blood, stop up the excess and passage to remorse that no compunctuous visitings of nature shake my fell purpose, nor keep peace between the effect and it. Come to my woman's breasts and take my milk for gall, you murdering ministers, wherever in your sightless substance you wait on nature's mischief. Come, thick night, and pull thee in the dunnest smoke of hell that my keen knife see not the wound it makes, nor heaven peep through the blanket of the dark to cry, Hold! Hold! Macbeth arrives. <sighs> my dearest love! Great gloms. Worthy Cawdor, greater than both by the all-hail hereafter. Thy letters have transported me beyond this ignorant present, and I feel now the future and the instant. Duncan comes here tonight. And when goes hence? Tomorrow, as he purposes. Oh, never shall sun that morrow see. He that's coming must be provided for, and you shall put this night's great business into my dispatch. Macbeth and Lady Macbeth exit. Scene 4. Before Macbeth's castle. Duncan, King of Scotland, arrives with his sons Malcolm and Donalbane, and Thanes Banquo, Lennox, Macduff, Ross, and Angus, and attendants bearing torches. The king addresses Malcolm, his eldest heir. Is execution done on Cawdor? Are not those in commission yet returned? My liege, they are not yet come back. But I have spoke with one that saw him die, who did report that very frankly he confessed his treasons, implored your highness pardon, and set forth a deep repentance. Nothing in his life became him like the leaving it. He died as one that had been studied in his death, to throw away the dearest thing he owed as twere a careless trifle. There's no art to find the mind's construction in the face. He was a gentleman on whom I built an absolute trust. The party enters the castle. Duncan sees Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, who approach the king. Here's the Thane of Cawdor. We coursed him at the heels, but his great love, sharp as his spur, hath helped him to his home before us. Fair and noble hostess, we are your guests tonight. 
The love that follows us sometimes is our trouble, which we still think is love. Herein I teach you how you shall bid God yield us for your pains and thank us for your trouble. All our service, in every point twice done and then done double, were poor and single business to contend against those honors deep and broad wherewith your majesty loads our house. For those of old and the late dignities heaped up to them, we rest your hermits. Give me your hand, conduct me to mine host. Sons, kinsmen, thanes, and you whose places are the nearest, no, we will establish our estate upon our eldest, Malcolm, who we name hereafter the Prince of Cumberland, which honour must not unaccompanied invest him only, but signs of nobleness, like stars, shall shine on all deservers. Lady Macbeth draws close to her husband. The Prince of Cumberland? That is a step on which you must fall down or else overleap, for in your way it lies. We shall speak further. Stars, hide your fires. Let not light see my black and deep desires. Only look up clear. To alter favor ever is to fear. Leave all the rest to me. All exit. Scene 5. Macbeth's Castle. A great corridor is lit by torches. A butler and servants carry dishes of food from the kitchen to the great hall. Macbeth is seen pacing to and fro. If it were done when tis done, then for well it were done quickly. If the assassination could trammel up the consequence and catch with his Circe success, that but this blow might be the be-all and the end-all here. But in these cases we still have judgment. That we but teach bloody instructions which being taught, return to plague the inventor. This even-handed justice commends the ingredients of our poison chalice to our own lips. He's here in double trust. First, as I am his kinsman and his subject, strong both against the deed. Then, as his host, who should against his murderer shut the door, not bear the knife myself. Besides... This Duncan hath been so clear in his great office that his virtues will plead like angels, trumpet-tongued, against the deep damnation of his taking off. And pity, striding the blast, horsed upon the sightless couriers of the air, shall blow the hoarded deed in every eye. The tears shall drown the wind. I have no spur to prick the sides of my intent, but only vaulting ambition, which o'erleaps itself and falls on the other. Lady Macbeth, discovering her husband absent from the great hall, comes in search of him. How now? What news? He has almost supped. Why have you left the chamber? Hath he asked for me? Know you not he has? We will proceed no further in this business. He hath honoured me of late. Was the hope drunk wherein you dressed yourself? Hath it slept since? And wakes it now to look so green and pale at what it did so freely. From this time such I account thy love. Art thou afeard to be the same in thine own act and valour as thou art in desire? Wouldst thou have that which thou esteemst the ornament of life and live a coward in thine own esteem, letting I dare not wait upon I would like the poor cat in the adage? Prithee, peace, I dare do all that may become a man. Who dares do more is none. What beast was it then that made you break this enterprise to me? 
when you durst do it, then you were a man, and to be more than what you were, you would be so much more the man. Nor time nor place did then adhere, and yet you would make both. They have made themselves, and their fitness now does unmake you. I've given suck, and know how tender it is to love the babe that milks me. I would, while it was smiling in my face, have plucked my nipple from his boneless gums and dashed the brains out, had I so sworn as you have done to this. If we should fail? We fail! But screw your courage to the sticking place and will not fail. When Duncan is asleep, his two chamberlains will I with wine and wassail so convince that memory, the warder of the brain, shall be a fume, and the receipt to reason a limbic only. When in swinish sleep their drenched natures lie as in a death, what cannot you and I perform upon the unguarded Duncan? Would not put upon his spongy officers who shall bear the guilt of our great quell. Bring forth men, children only, for thy undaunted metals should compose nothing but males. Will it not be received when we have marked with blood those sleepy two of his own chamber? and use their very daggers that they have done? Who dares receive another, as we shall make our griefs and clamor roar upon his death? I am settled, and bend up each corporal agent to this terrible feat. Macbeth and Lady Macbeth exit. Audio. This is the Mutual Audio Network.